0: Hi, everybody. Welcome to another podcast on trek no Babble. This is Matthew. And this is Kevin. And
1: this is Kelly.
0: Yep. Kelly likes Voyager, and so Kelly's going to knit and chime in every now and again. Um, we're going to do a Season 2 episode. Uh, this is Non-Sequitur, one of seven Latin-titled episodes, just in case you didn't know that. Uh, not of Voyager, but of Star Trek in general. Um... And as Latin episodes go, I would say this is uh, among the better ones. Um, I've always liked it. You know, I was reading the sort of reaction stuff they have on Memory Alpha, and, like, a bunch of people are expressing disappointment or something, and I'm just like, what? I liked it. So I guess I need to see what they're talking about. Um, You know, personally especially given the amount of Kezon stuff that's going to happen. This is a highlight of season two, if you ask me.
2: Uh, I remember liking this one uh, well enough. Um, I wouldn't call it a, a favorite of mine, but it's, it's a neat idea. And uh, certainly for for the, you know, it's, it's written by Brandon Braga and of all of the episodes uh, he's done, it's probably, I, I think it's, it's certainly one of his tighter episodes. Like it doesn't really go off the rails conceptually toward the end as sometimes they do but um i'll admit i haven't watched this one in a while so i'm happy to see what i I think about it now
0: all right well then i guess we'll just get started everybody get ready i'm queued up and we will all press play simultaneously in three two one press play So we hear sort of a, I don't know, echo, dream voice of the captain. Uh, but, in fact, Harry is dreaming, and what? There's an attractive woman next to him? This is crazy. Uh, apparently, Garrett Wang complained uh, at the beginning of season two that uh, I guess his season one experience was you know, mainly delivering uh, tech dialogue on the bridge, and never getting the girl, and never kicking butt. And this episode was the response.
1: The only response.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Harry will get a, a few more bones thrown to him. But yeah, this is the major Harry Kim episode of this season. It's a short teaser. But,
1: yeah, intriguing.
0: Yeah, I think it's intriguing. Um, in 35 seconds or so, they establish that Gary Kim's in San Francisco. Was the Golden Gate Bridge in that shot?
2: Yeah, as was the uh, Prudential Building, which
0: apparently uh, trans, survived World War III. Th-
2: Trans-America, excuse me, which apparently survived World War Three.
0: Well, only 600 million people died, so presumably some cities got uh, spared. You know, I, I mean, if they were going to locate Starfleet headquarters in San Francisco, you'd think that maybe it wasn't heavily damaged, yeah. right? Um. I mean, that's really just sort of, it's not a retcon, but it's, you know, uh, fan thinking. They didn't establish any of that. Jennifer Gaddy is uh, the Libby character, and she played the Klingon sex pot in Birthright Part 2. Or, sorry, half Klingon, half Romulan sex pot. Uh, the younger woman. Did Worf actually hook up with her?
2: Uh, I know they made out. I think he found the ears before they did the cut on oh, yeah. nasty.
0: Yeah, so then he was all racist and stuff. Um, which, hey, you know, come on, Worf Yep. When you're in the moment, and you know, she looks like Jennifer Gaddy. Like, come on, go for it.
1: James Bond would have gone for it and yeah. then killed her or something.
0: Well, you yeah, know, there's no reason to kill her. So, what do you think of this set?
1: Hmm. Looks like a reuse to me. Well, it yeah. is
0: a reuse. It's a reuse of the apartment from the
2: uh,
0: pretty wretched two-parter from Deep Space Nine. The um, past tense.
2: Oh, I can see it now. Yeah. The shape of the windows. The yeah. Well, the windows
0: is the, is the big uh,
2: thing. I, You know, I like it. It, it
0: actually looks a lot like some sort of loft condo that you would yeah. find these days. Uh, so I think it's great. Set dressing, and, and there's a bathroom.
2: I, I'm always thrilled. I oddly find it charming and thrilling when doors have handles in Star Trek because it, it, it's one of those, we have the technology to have self-opening doors now, but we don't have them everywhere. That would be a waste of resources. Even in an abundant society, it would make no sense to go to the trouble of making well, yeah, every and you door can...
0: You couldn't retrofit a building like this to have pocket doors in every possible place, you know,
2: because that's essentially what the, you know, automatic doors are. Right, right. You have to go somewhere. So I kind of – There's no space. It's one of those like this is a real building or it's, you know, not every building in New York City has an elevator or, you know, was electrified when it was built. Like there's a staggering of that and that's so – little touches like that make me happy.
0: The way they've done the lighting on the exterior gives it a really nice three-dimensional look, I have to say.
2: Yeah, that's a good I assume that's just a large like panoramic photo. Photo, photograph of the San Francisco skyline modified slightly for this purpose. Okay, here's here's my question that I, and I don't recall if the episode actually properly explains this. But if the world has been changed, why does Harry remember the difference?
0: I believe that the Cosimo character will have something to do with this.
2: Okay. Okay. okay I'm gonna, so I'm I'm reserving judgment. I'm mind. not gonna I'm not gonna slam a plot problem four minutes in. That would be that would be the height of being prejudicial. So I
0: guess that these exterior scenes were shot on the back lot. They did not go to San Francisco, and uh, the production note said that the street is actually black top painted to look like bricks.
2: Hmm. Well, looking we at this guy- set, I'm trying to recall, this came before uh, Homefront and Paradise Lost, if memory serves, um, just um, in terms of release date. But I get the same kind of feel, like this little sliver of a you know charming little street where people walk to coffee shops like the one outside Cisco's restaurant. Well, I think
0: You know, they were relishing the opportunity to show us Earth. You know, Jerry Taylor was quoted as saying it was too early to do it in season one. But it's a nice little cup there. Yeah. Uh, But she felt like in season two, it was a good time, you know, to just kind of tantalize fans. And I agree with that.
2: Yeah, I I love it when they show us Earth. I like a lot of the We saw Bolian walk by Harry's door when he left. And then one of the aliens from... uh, I think Pellier Zell was walking out of the subway station, the one from the host with the two moons. That was clearly, Uh, I'm like, so those are nice touches. I like, I like that kind of attention to detail. There's not an alien that shouldn't be there like a Cardassian or something. So if someone was not asleep at the switch.
0: Well, so as far as the, the mechanics of the story, it seems as though Harry has the level of information that he would at the beginning of season two. Right. I believe it's established that this is eight months after Voyager's disappearance. Mm-hmm. You know, what's really nice about this kind of backdrop is that they're the only two guys in uniform, you know? Yeah. it's we... like it's, a, it's a real place. It's yeah. not just like a billion Starfleet officers. So this, of course, is a reuse
2: from Star Trek Four. I think Star Trek, which was a reuse from Star Trek One.
0: <laughs> not that shot. Not that there's shot. Gonna be oh, a, okay. There's gonna be a reuse Star Trek One shot actually, but that's that's just Star Trek Four.
2: I, I love the ultra thin faux laptop he's using. Uh, <laughs> every. T- as,
0: it's like as, a Microsoft Surface or something.
2: Right. As much as Star Trek has accurately predicted many things, they have whiffed on several others, and it always delights me when I get to see them.
0: Yeah, and so Harry is, I mean, this is fun kind of character stuff, because we've all had, you know, sort of semi-nightmares about, you know, forgetting something for a big meeting or for a big interview. I mean, I'm surprised he's wearing his clothes, right? (laughs) Yeah. So there's somebody on the right there in the old-style TNG uniform I guess it's uh, admiral's prerogative or something.
2: Yeah, or
0: he's, he's a captain, maybe.
2: I remember being amute, uh, delighted that they had, you know, crossed over the runabout to Voyager because I, I like the runabout design. I think it's a neat idea, so I was I was happy to, to see it here.
0: Yeah, I'm I'm kind of I'm a little mystified as to the is this a different runabout or is this the runabout?
2: You know? I think it's supposed to be in a, my, my recollection. Was it was just it was like a improvement, a modified one. Yeah, that. it was like the next generation. It was the the, the all of the changes would be under the hood, so to speak.
0: So Harry is being referred to as an engineer. I suppose maybe he was, you know, as a yellow shirt, he's a sort of general technical yeah. guy. And because he didn't get selected for the Voyager mission, he's more into warp theory or something. He does help out in engineering a lot, so I guess his friend here is a lieutenant.
1: I thought people didn't get it all, anymore. Yeah. Let's go get some in a and you'll be fine.
0: There could have been an interesting uh, cameo for a doctor here, you know, for a Robert Picardo doctor. That's a good line. You know, it, it's realistic, you know. This guy who's been friends with him and taken a bit of a chance on him is pissed off. There's a Galaxy Class model. I guess this is Harry's office, huh? We see a Harry Kim diploma.
1: Those are cool frames.
0: Yeah. I like that work table. Yeah, it's all pretty. And it's got some, it looks like drafting tools.
1: It's a pretty huge office. Well, you know, it's
0: the future.
2: I mean, so far the mystery is uh, is building well like I, I'm what this puts me in mind of you know just right off the bat is um inner light you know he wakes up living a different life
0: well in some ways you know the complaints of the actor uh, are good complaints in terms of the character it's like Harry just seems to sit around and do nothing you know does he ever get the girl does he ever you know have a good job. It's like, well, here he does. You know, I like that kind of question for a computer. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess the computer is networked and it's like ultra-fast networking, and it can just, you know, immediately call that up,
2: it's like asking Siri. Yeah, go- yeah, Google it. Space time anomalies. There we go.
0: I like the fact that Voyagers. Info is classified. And apparently he has the authorization codes for it.
2: (laughs) Well, if it's one thing we learned from the otherwise atrocious mere universe episodes, it's that if it's one thing that's the same everywhere, it's the password.
0: (laughs) So I guess we still don't know the mechanism of the change, but what's changed is that Harry Kim's Request for assignment, which I take it is what everybody puts in for when they graduate the academy. Uh, His first choice was not granted him, you know, and instead he was assigned to Earth working on warp, warp engines. So that's interesting. The question is, how did it happen? Why did it happen? And will the explanation be good?
2: How do we feel about Cosmo himself? Is it is it another in a long line of these like restaurant tours that co- almost don't make sense? Like it it, it it feels like he walked out of some like 1920s New York set almost. Like he's running some you know deli or cafe in you know Lower Manhattan or something. Uh,
0: does it well, feel he's like, like he's kind f- of Italian or yeah?
2: Something? Does does he fit as having lived in the Star Trek universe we've seen? Is this a guy who would have been, as a matter of course, taught calculus in the first grade?
0: I don't know. I, I don't mind the character. Like, the Cosimo character, you know, accepting any supernatural aspects or, you know, cosmic aspects, uh, which we don't know yet. He strikes, I mean, it gives me the impression. So, Joseph Cisco, Cosimo, you know... Why Boothby. would they run restaurants? Like,
2: yeah, why? Why Boothby is Boothby a gardener? I mean, they must derive some pleasure from it. But
0: Jennifer Gaddy, by the way, commented that she basically is in various states of undress all through this episode, <laughs> uh, and she said she found it flattering because, hey, someone wants to see her half naked. And yeah, I'm into it. So, I, you know, I see it as. People who have certain personality types, they're they're very social, they want to make other people happy, like maybe they would get into restaurant touring. I mean, clearly, there are people who get into chef work, uh, you know, now, and it's not because they think it's going to make them a million dollars, it's because they have a passion for it. So I'm sure there are people who make food because it's creative and they feel a passion for it. Coffee? I don't know. The one thing that I want explained is what you pay with and why you can't just get exactly the same thing at home if you have a replicator.
1: But I can make coffee at home, and I still like going to coffee shops. Sure. Yeah, Yeah, atmosphere. Some
0: kind of social interaction and or atmosphere that's worthwhile for people. So I think Braga said he didn't like the chemistry between the two actors here. What I do you think about
2: that? I don't dislike it. I I've, I've always found Harry Kim a little flat. Personally, he never really grab. I, I I I'm pressed to recall a moment in which his character really grabbed me by the throat in the way other characters on Voyager or the other franchises did. Um so and ma- I'm trying to recall watching this the first time through, and you're right, Harry Kim is a bit of a, you know, non-entity for most of the first season. So I'm wondering if I was less engaged with this episode sort of presumptively because I just didn't care as much about the Harry Kim character at this point. It's not, yeah, it's certainly not, I think, that he's doing a bad job. It's just I, I, I can think of other, like, I, I think, you know, Tom or Bolana or the Doctor or Janeway in a similarly scripted scene would just have me like breathless right now. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I
0: you know, I like Garrett Wang. This is a reuse from Star Trek six, I believe. Um, but having said that, I like Garrett Wang, you know, in the role, it, it's, it's not terribly meaty and, you know, he's no Olivier. Right. So Yeah, you're right.
1: She's in another state of
0: undress. Yeah, now she's in the
2: ninety. Maybe for me it was like the writers never quite figured out how to write for him. Like I I actually, especially as I'm older now, could totally see the fresh out of the academy guy not having the self-assuredness or complex layers of personality that the more mature officers on TNG or or on Voyager itself did. But you can do something with that, like yeah,
0: I think you can do something with it. I, you know, so really, I think, you know, accepting that Garrett Wang is not, you know, some sort of, you know, Juilliard trained actor or something, um, I think he does a fine job with what he's given, you know, uh, he's just not given a whole lot. Uh, so when I watch this episode, I. I identified with Harry Kim i I was interested I mean look many Brandon Bragg episodes have a premise you know and the premise grabs you and I think the premise is still is still grabby at this point you know it's like I'm curious to know what's going on I do think maybe this last scene or two has gone a little slow yeah you know, they were really they were building nicely for the first 15 minutes or so
2: Well, like, like, thinking back to Inner Light for me, these establishing scenes, th- or uh, those establishing scenes of Picard pushing against and eventually accepting this new life, I don't know, maybe it was the way they, they pitched it or paced it, but those felt more visceral somehow. Like, I just responded more to those. And I think it, it's something separate, though obviously, you know, part of it's Patrick Stewart's acting ability, but there was just something to the way those scenes were done. Like there was a like an edginess and a tension to to his early work to try to oh. like contact the Enterprise that felt more like he felt out of place and he knew it and it upset him where it doesn't I don't feel the same sense of tension. Like if I woke up tomorrow having gone to medical school instead of law school, I think I would be more overtly perturbed than Harry seems to have been maybe that's my complaint
0: i agree with that and i think some of this stuff with libby uh you know getting kind of annoyed you know or wanting him to to give her more uh that's good stuff and you know that's adding some nice tension
1: um i wonder if part of the difference between this and inner light though is that inner light comes later in the series
0: they know more what Stuart can do.
1: Well, and you, as the viewer, have a stronger connection with him as a certain yeah. person.
2: Like, we, we've gone round, they've they've more thoroughly established, like, he didn't have children, didn't have a family, even if he yeah. may have kind of wanted it, if he wouldn't admit it to himself. I, I, I get that, I get that.
0: Well, I, I think a difference is just in the writing. In the writing for The Inner Light, they more thoroughly developed the side characters and gave them sort of motives and, and, uh, you know, arcs and stuff, you know, whereas we haven't gotten a ton yet here, you know, so the, the more Libby says, and the more she gets annoyed, that was a pretty lame joke, but the more she gets annoyed, the better it works. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah. I think they have a fine romance. I, I don't mind the chemistry, and I think she's pretty decent. So I wonder what that shot's from. So there's a Euridian coming out of Shea Sandrine. It's it's a good uh, use of a standing set. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad they didn't inadvertently decide to populate it with the Holodeck characters. Yeah. So we
0: have uh, hair Tom, Stil- not, sorry, not Tom Stilskin, <laughs> Tom Paris, with a slight, uh, you know, two or three day beard, um, wearing Neelix's kind of vest, <laughs> his like lowlife
2: vest. You know, I would kill to be like an itinerant bum in the Federation.
0: <laughs> yeah, talk about a great place to live. <laughs> Well, but that's one of the things I really like about this episode. You know, it, it took them 21 minutes to get to this point. But one of the things I've always enjoyed is, number one, the Tom and Harry bromance, you know. But number two, the look at, you know, sort of a seedy kind of loser in this utopian future, right? That That's really interesting to me. So here's something different, too. He said yes to Captain Janeway's request. But he got waylaid at DS9. And I guess the, the point of difference is that Harry somehow mollified him during his uh, altercation. Well, I, I guess it would be a different encounter. You right. know, like Danny Bird wouldn't be buying low by crystals Um you know, so somehow Tom got into a fight, as opposed to. No, it still revolves around low by crystals. It's like paisley with like I don't know what's going on it's with like, that.
2: vest. Like yeah, brightly colored stripes under it. It yeah it's that a is project
1: runway vest.
0: Yeah, that's like something they bought at Mood that you know, no one should
2: have bought. Yeah. Or they just took a regular vest and turned it inside out and that was the lining.
0: Yeah, it's got an upholstery look.
2: I will say, I do like that Harry jumps to the you know, what are obvious explanations in the Star Trek universe. The, you know, temporal anomaly of some stripe that we have seen many, many times before.
0: Well, I mean, we can uh, assume, I guess, that you know, even if the enterprise perhaps ran into a few more of them than the average Starfleet <laughs> vessel, uh, that you know they have protocols for this, and they have, I mean, they talked about temporal mechanics class, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so it, it's a known phenomenon. I really like Robert Duncan McNeil's performance here, he seems kind of a little bit drunk. Yeah, yeah, I'll give you that. Yeah, I can see that. But I really like the anger. I like, you know.
1: Well, and it's nice to see because the Tom Paris we usually see on Voyager, you sometimes have trouble reconciling that with someone who would have been in a penal colony in the first place.
0: Right. Yeah. You know they, they only sort of occasionally went there with the. Um, I, I like solitary. the yeah I like this line. You told me you were afraid of what would happen to you. Now I see why.
1: Whoa.
0: Yeah, a loser and a drunk.
2: Not to, not, not to be a shipper or anything, I will say, for whatever other complaints I have about Harry Kim's characterization or Garrett Wayne's acting ability, he actually has really good chemistry with uh, Robert Duncan McNeil, and that's not because yeah. I'm suggesting that they're secretly gay. I kind of get really annoyed when people who are just bored try to invent romances where none exist, but they have a rapport. There's, a, there's no, an actual I, I relationship think... there. See, now there's Cosmo at Shea Sandrine. Wearing a jaunty beret.
0: Yeah. So this is uh, from Star Trek 1. Hmm. That was Admiral Kirk's arrival shuttle. Now she's wearing actual clothes.
2: That, that is a very uh, mid-DS9 civilian wear. Like the like, tight-fitting dress over tights thing.
1: Tight-fitting, but... Still not very flattering. Seems like a v-neck or something.
0: Well, it's the, the ribbing under the boobs is a little strange.
2: Yeah, the darts are a little... Yeah, it's that is doing weird things to her bust line.
0: Yeah, I really like that set. And there's like a vintage door. I mean, it's just... The, like, yeah you know, the windows are cool the, the windows yeah it's just it's really nice
1: how I will say does that does he rate that place though as an ensign
0: <laughs> well we don't know how real estate works in, on earth in the 24th century I mean he's a Starfleet officer she is uh, like a dancer or something a musician a musician Presumably they can pool whatever allotment, whether it's financial or bureaucratic, they receive to get a nice, I mean, it's like a rooftop apartment.
1: When some novels, which are follow-up novels, or some novels that I read, she's like a spy or something.
0: Yeah, you know, I think we can take that as apocryphal.
1: Sure, but it could be true.
2: Like James Bond, she has a really nice apartment. I'd love to see their Hong Kong place.
0: So I like that, you know, he's given his side of the story. And they're not just immediately dismissing it. They're, they're taking a rational, um, you know, sort of path in responding to it. And that is, well, we tried to verify it and we can't find squat. So now it's just you're doing all this weird stuff. You're breaking into computer files and traveling to visit Maquis sympathizers. You know, what's going on? So, you know, this part of the story works because they're not being just, like, arbitrarily, uh, you know, douchey. Everything they're doing makes sense from their perspective.
2: So this, this moment right here doesn't quite work for me. And I think it's the, at least at this point, the the edges of Garrett Wang's acting. He I don't think he does intense well.
0: I agree with that. You know, I guess they were going for a bit of a Hitchcockian flair here. You know, he's sort of like the wrong man accused of something. You know, he's a fish out of water. I like this. You know, it's... uh, I mean, it's it's fun because it's, of course, a reference to, you know, cutting-edge law enforcement... In the 90s and 2000s and stuff the idea of home monitoring but it really does make loads of sense it just doesn't make sense that in this future that why would they have massive prisons you know why would they be interning such a large portion of the population you know if this is a more rehabilitative society and so even if he's under suspicion He's got a certain amount of personal freedom. You know, I mean, what's he going to do? Transport across the galaxy instantaneously? That's ridiculous.
2: <laughs> just having a conversation with my friend Andrew who commented how we seem to not be able to have a single outing of this blog that doesn't bash <laughs> that film. And I pointed out it's our, we started this entire blog as like a therapeutic excisement of, 2000, of Star Trek 2009. So it really just makes sense.
0: Okay. All right, so we, we should I, pay attention here. I was sent here to watch you to make sure that you were all
2: right. If, if I had to pick, given that we're now getting to the, you know, eventual solution to the story, part of what gives, and to go back to Inner Light for a moment, part of what gives that episode just the, the punch in the gut that is the emotional arc of that story is in many ways Picard eventually Kind of, he does choose to stay there. He chooses to live that life. And you can understand why. His wife is charming and warm. His friends seem fun and compassionate. It's, they're living a life you could imagine a rational being want to live. And if I had to say what narratively the episode lacks, and maybe this is where the chemistry with um, Libby just wasn't enough to carry it, I would have liked a stronger sense of Harry deciding, hey all I wanted to do was go home and I'm home like, and maybe had they done, yeah, I think they could work? have written
0: some scenes where Harry's really wrestling with it a bit more. Yeah. Like he just seems almost even before he meets Tom Paris, he seems, you know, dedicated to the notion that he needs to find out what's going on and get back, Yeah, you know, and he, he does have some good lines here. You know, he, he'll talk about Danny bird and he'll talk about Tom Paris, but I agree with you that the sort of conclusion is reached a little early for dramatic purposes. The other thing, you know, this these temporal inversion, spacetime aliens, their their presence is kind of inscrutable, but not in a good way.
2: Yeah, <laughs> you know? it doesn't really like they they were just here to propel a plot.
0: Well, in the inner light, the culture was doing something, and that was what was impacting the character. Right. Know? Yeah, so I like this. What about Danny Bird? He isn't so lucky.
2: And that's fine. That, like, that kind of discussion is entirely appropriate. It's a, it's a very Starfleet point of view that even if he were genuinely happy to, to be back on Earth, he could not do that at the cost of, of someone else. Um, that's fine. And, and if uh, if that were the basis for him to reject whatever happiness he has here, I completely buy that. Just as a Starfleet officer, I, I completely buy that. I just wish there it had had more heft. Like he felt he was really giving something up.
0: So there's a time stream that intersects this region of space. It almost sounds like the Nexus or something. Um, which, coincidentally enough, was, you know, a Brandon Braga joint um he drinks Vulcan mocha I don't mind that but I do kind of question what Vulcans drink
2: as as far as a a brewed beverage Yeah, I can't imagine
1: like they would drink caffeine
2: yeah I can't imagine they would drink coffee Klingons drink coffee
1: well sure Klingons are highly emotional
2: yeah yeah I always get slightly annoyed when they go out of their way to have other world analogs to our stuff
0: So I like this scene a lot. I like that she's pissed off. She's like, you know, what the hell's wrong with you? You know, so I wish there were a bit more discussion as far as the the temporal ethics, if you will. Yeah. You know, it's like he hasn't lived these past eight months, so... He's, yeah, he has suddenly changed, as Libby just said. And ah, so, Katarian Music Festival. I think this acting is pretty decent on Garrett Wang's part. Anyhow, uh, I could see an argument that. Well, this is what the timeline has done, and so although he did belong where he was for eight months, now he belongs here because that's how things have gone. Right, right. You know, and so is it really worth trying to monkey with again and maybe you know damaging more things? Uh, so, if I have a criticism, it's that the the mechanics are viewed as very cut and dry. It's like Harry is definitely where he should not be, and there is, you know, a sort of concrete set of steps that can get him back to where he should be.
1: If You want a novel idea? Is Danny Bird aware of the change back on Voyager? Is he suddenly like, oh, crap, where am I? What happened?
0: Yeah, yeah. Has, you know, I think that's really, really interesting. Paris isn't
2: aware that he's not where he's supposed to be.
0: Yeah, Paris is not aware. I mean, I guess the thing is that it was Harry Kim in this shuttle whenever that accident occurred. Yeah. Boy, way to get sidetracked, Harry. Yeah, I, I just I
2: don't...
0: like that they, I like that they beam in. Yeah, yeah they're not like that makes sense. You know, Knocking at the door or but something. They beam
1: behind us. The... Well, they didn't know where they were going to be. Oh, even her shoes are red.
0: That's a very Star Trek thing to have same colored tights and dress and shoes. It is very matchy matchy, isn't it? At least
2: it's not Holly Hobby. That was a good stunt. I will say some of these exteriors do look like a back lot and not real buildings. You know, like you know what I mean, like the texture doesn't look the quite real. The texture of
0: the pillar is a little, you
2: know, flat. I, there, there, but there's, there's a subway, that, that's that cool. That same woman has been walking around this little square for the entire episode. Well, she lives there, of course
0: she's walking.
2: Um, I do like the space. I like the number of extras. It looks like a quaint neighborhoody place where you'd go, you know, live and get a cup of coffee and go to your pleasant office job and
0: My only sort of question here is why don't they just beam him somewhere? Right,
2: he's still wearing his communicator.
0: Well, he's wearing a freaking monitoring bracelet. Yeah, these <laughs> bricks don't look good.
2: Ooh, they look even worse in daylight. Well, but you know it, it looks like a magic eye. If I stare at Paris's vest long enough, I'll see like a Romulan ship emerge out of it.
0: It's a sailboat.
1: I can't do this.
2: No, I've never been able to do a me one neither. Successful. I I yeah, just never. I don't
1: think they're real. I think other people are just pretending. Yeah, it's to like it's scam. like the
2: emperor's new cloak. Everyone's saying they can see it. So now this. Oh my god! It backdrop. has lapels. It has lapels like a yeah. 70s disco dancer. I didn't notice that in Sandrine's before.
0: Well, see, so you know, it's like this Paris character has experienced growth, just like the Paris character in the pr- you know prime timeline has experienced growth, and it's because. It's them. They're they're like they're a good team. They're a good duo. They complete each other, you know.
1: It's like us,
0: I suppose, if you want to put it
1: that way.
2: Did, sure. you, did, did Kelly spare you from a life of a uh, playing pool in a Marseille dive?
0: Yeah, probably. <laughs> well, look, Paris, look. I've already said in a, in a blog post that Paris is my favorite character, and he's my favorite character because I feel a lot of affinity. You know, it's like someone who. Has a lot of potential, but also has weaknesses, and you know, could go down a bad path. There's a 47 reference. Yeah. He has a sight-to-sight transporter or something.
2: I always like—we know it's a crisis when uh, there's the, those few wisps of hair on Harry's forehead. If his hair isn't perfectly coiffed then we know it's oh, yeah. a problem.
0: Oh Absolutely. And here's the other thing. He's referring to it as my reality, you know? Right. But then there's going to be a scene coming up very soon that gives us the indication that this is not an alternate reality uh, that will keep going of its own accord. Right. uh, But instead, you know, some sort of time-like thing that will be erased once Harry's returned, you know? And I I wish they had been a little more, uh, you know... Specific about that, yeah. Because what's going to happen, you know, is pretty extreme if it's the former and not the latter. He's pretty good at flying this robot.
2: This annoyed. I'm sorry. This little clip there annoyed the hell out of me. You don't like the
0: Dyson Sphere?
2: Oh my god! So random. You couldn't (laughs) just. You couldn't just reuse the space dock doors. It just. I'm. I understand. I have watched every episode approximately a billion times. I have answered trivia questions that were, look at Picard's face. The still of Patrick Stewart's face and I can tell you which episode it is. But come on, that is clearly not a Starfleet installation.
0: At least they didn't show the city. Huh. I... I wish they'd put a joystick on some of these ships. Hmm. <laughs> So here we have a Nebula class vessel. We have our shield percentage drama, which is a very Voyager thing.
2: Uh, someone just posted on my Facebook page a uh, Voyager bingo, and three of the uh, like you're supposed to watch it, and anytime they say it, you 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 can cover a square. And I think three or four of the squares are shields down to X percentage.
0: Yeah. It seems like the core always breaches when there's a timeline problem.
2: Wow, this is this is a technobabble explanation.
0: <laughs> Multiflux gamma radiation.
2: Is that worse than regular gamma radiation?
0: Well, it's got multi. That means it's like more. like multiple times as bad.
2: If that's not the world's best effect.
0: Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look all that dissimilar from uh, the Badlands, but seems like this drive plasma is a really useful thing, and everybody should have it. You know, so it's like he was doing this stuff in the Delta Quadrant and somehow ended up in the Alpha Quadrant. And Danny Bird, you know, the explanation that Cosmo gives is some things got mixed around, you know, and that's kind of it,
2: right? Yeah. It, it it feels very Doctor Who in a way, like a uh, time. It's it's, it's 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 wibbly wobbly, wobbly. yeah. yeah. <laughs> well,
0: I you know really it's something that could be fixed with just like half a line of dialogue. You know they could say something like, uh, you know the energy wormed its way back along your time stream. You know like your your sort of spacetime path, your worm. That's what they call it in metaphysics, is your space-time worm through four-dimensional space, you know, and so it sort of zapped you back to that point, and things got changed then, you know.
1: Yeah, but this is typical of Voyager when it comes to time travel. It often is sort of the wibbly-wobbly Janeway's kind of like, la, 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 I don't care how it works.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know what would have been fun? Don't ask me about temporal mechanics. You know what would have been fun? Is if Danny Bird, on the other side of the Alpha, in the Alpha Quadrant, had been the one to encounter the temporal anomaly, and it reset his timeline, which had the ancillary effect of resetting Harry's. That would have solved a lot of the mechanics problems, because they all happened off-screen. Yeah.
1: Maybe it was all a dream.
2: <laughs>
0: well, so, uh... The, the runabout explosion was one of the many reuses of the initial runabout explosion effect from Deep Space Nine. Yeah.
2: You know, you, you, you can't blame these. You, you cannot criticize these people for wasting money. They like, like, like the Buffalo, they used every part of their franchise to the fullest.
0: Well, and that's what created some problems when they've been doing the 1080p yeah. scans is finding the film. So this episode, you know, we're 44 minutes in. And this is our first appearance of Tuvok, B'Elanna, uh, Janeway, Chakotay, and Chakotay. Uh, this episode has no Doctor, uh, no Neelix, as far as I know, no Cass. So this is a very Harry Kim heavy episode. Your shuttlecraft was caught in some kind of temporal anomaly. You can ride my tail anytime.
2: I think they wrote the wrong emotional tenor here, because even if he's back, and even if he feels he said things right, he's given up the thing that his character wants explicitly for the entire seven-year run of the show to get home. More so, more explicitly than anyone, because if nothing else, aside from Janeway and her fiancé, he's like the one person on the ship with a happy life back home. So I think they went too happy with their solution. It should have been a little more wistful because he still gave up his hot girlfriend to set things right. I think they should have gone for a bit of a more somber note, you know?
0: I could see that. Uh, you know, I think maybe that scene could have been like Harry hang out in Shea Sandrine on the holodeck right. and having kind of a heart to heart with Tom or something and coming to terms with the fact that although he sacrificed X, he, he has regained why, you know, his friendship with Tom uh, and that that's enough to get him through it. I agree with you there. Uh, one thing that I think is missing is Harry calling his parents. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Seeing his parents.
0: Well, just at least calling them, yeah. you know, you know, having a, a FaceTime chat, whatever, a Skype call. Um, because that was one of the primary things that was indicated as, you know. A big deal for his character yeah yeah uh, so he should have been doing sort of like uh you know all the stuff he's been missing for the past eight months right um you know there, there might have been an interesting opportunity for him to try to i don't know i mean i guess it, he was supposed to be in a coterminous present so he couldn't have tried to warn anybody yeah. uh there should have been more of a scene with him indicating where voyager is and how they should try to go about rescuing it and stuff like that even if even if it gets uh you know retconned by the end of the end of the episode um and so yeah as i said there should have been a a more full-bodied explanation Than things got mixed up somehow uh as far as what was going on with the time timeline all that said like many a TNG episode, uh, for instance, Times Square, in which things aren't terribly well explained, there's still just a sort of Twilight Zone y kind of feel that really floats my boat. You know, these are the kinds of episodes that I always enjoy. And the, the question of where they rate is on how, how good the follow through is, you know, but. I'm already predisposed to like it, I guess is what I'm saying.
2: I, I get that, but like go, going off of what you said in the stated intent to go for a Hitchcockian feel, the, the whole. The, the way a Hitchcock film works is to really make you question the sanity of the protagonist and the protagonist questioning their own. Did you ever really not think the obvious solution was something has happened to the timeline that will eventually be fixed by the end of the episode? Yeah, I, I,
0: I agree. I think they could have gone more with the is Harry Crazy story. I agree with that.
2: Yeah, like like in even in Inner Light, you're like they solved that problem by having the cutbacks to the bridge, so we as the viewer know there is something happening. We because so the the thrust of the episode isn't what is happening, because we know it's something, we know it'll be fixed. The narrative heft of the episode is watching Picard Live this alternate life. That's that's where the meat of the episode is. Here, I know. Okay, especially by flagging it at the start with the fragments of Janeway's conversation, it's like clearly there was some crisis, and this is where Harry's after the crisis. Those two things must be related, and I so it just doesn't quite work in the same way. Like I yeah I agree. Had they really questioned, is Harry crazy? Was all a Voyager a dream? Just something more to make us question both what's happening to Harry and his ability to accurately perceive it is what's, what would give this episode a more sort of, you know, that, that twinge that they were apparently going for.
0: Okay.
1: This would have been an interesting season premiere.
2: Yeah. 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 I, I, that, that's...
0: No, 37 should have been the season finale for season one. and If this were a season premiere, it would be... A very risky season premiere to not show so many of the main cast members uh, because typically your season premiere gets you know the some of the highest ratings of the season but story-wise i agree because it's like wait was all that just a dream um it's uh yeah they should have stressed the is it a dream or was everything from season one a dream angle more um but again you know i like the Timey-wimey stuff. And I like the Harry and Tom, you know, character angle. So, you know, I'm still... I'm recognizing flaws, but I'm still just entertained, you know? Like, out of the 45 minutes, there's a good 25 or 30 where I'm feeling really entertained, you know? And then the, the other 10 or whatever, I'm just like, yeah, this is all right. So... You know, I think the writing's at least average. And I would even go so far as to say a bit above average in terms of the character notes for Tom and Harry. Uh, the sci fi story is, you know, a little anemic.
2: They just needed to pick a direction. Either they're going full bore, is the world what I perceive it to be, gaslighting Hitchcock story, or really aggressively make. Harry want to stay, and really give some heft to the choice to leave.
0: Yeah, there should have, he, you know, he could have had a real dilemma, you know. I mean, like hell, Maybe
2: Tom was going to be executed. Or right, not, and, and not to be soppish or predictable, Libby's pregnant. Why not? Like, just something really, like, th- like really make the worlds different, because with the exception, apparently, of Danny Bird and Harry Kim, it never really felt like either of these worlds are really that different? Someone's going to Cosmos for a Vulcan Mocha. Someone's going to be on Voyager, being their operations officer. It, those, the the world we saw Harry living in doesn't feel terribly different than what I, from at least from you know when we went there on Deep Space Nine a few episodes later, different from what the world was like without Harry there. It doesn't so there yeah.
0: wasn't a lot of. They should have made the stakes for Harry higher. Yeah, because the stakes for the world aren't going to be that high. Sure. Harry's yeah. not that important. Right. You know. So they should have made the stakes for Harry higher. I agree with that.
2: Um, Acting-wise, I am I am as happy as I'm going to be with with uh, Garrett Wang's portrayal of Harry. I, I think had the writing been pitched more consciously over the course of the series to take advantage of rather than try to ignore or compensate for his youth and inexperience, then a lot of his acting choices might have felt more... Productive, um, but up with the exception of like maybe the confrontation scene with the admiral where I felt it was a little flat. He's good. Like I, I agree. It's it. His relationship with Libby isn't isn't my favorite Star Trek relationship, but I I think it, like especially in that last scene, uh, right before uh, security shows up, they had that was a good moment. They seem like a
0: real boyfriend and girlfriend couple, um, and I thought his scene with uh, Tom Paris. Uh, in the bar, where yeah. he calls him a loser, I thought I thought that was you know a well read line. You know, really, I think in some ways, if there's a bit of a problem with Garrett Wang, it's a problem that many other actors have had, uh, and that is like when he's talking with Cosmo about the timeline or something. You know, sometimes the tech dialogue doesn't have a lot going on behind it. Yeah. You know. Whereas, like, LeVar Burton can make it seem like he really cares about, you know, the warp plasma manifold or something. You know, I I don't know. Um, I think it was at least an average, if not a slightly above average performance by Garrett Wang. I thought it was a very good performance by Robert Duncan McNeil. Um, I mean, I think the Cosmo character was eh.
2: Yeah, I just didn't care. I mean, I, I I really wonder if they tried to get Boothby, but he was, like, busy that day. Because it just well, feels he, like...
0: Louis, Louis Giambalvo didn't have an air of mystery, you know? Yeah. An air of something cosmic behind him, you know? He seemed too normal at the outset. And then by the time he reveals that he's some alien, it's like, so are you, like, the dumbest alien or, like, the... You know the alien who gets the the crappy assignment.
2: Well, they're also like you can do it one of two ways. He should either be ethereal and mysterious the entire time, or he should be like painfully normal and then like drop the veil and be really different in that second conversation. That was the thing.
0: He wasn't really different. I agree with that. Yeah, Uh, he just seemed like the same guy with slightly more knowledge. They could have had Q there. Well, yeah. I mean, this would be a Q type episode, and apparently these are at least. Q-ish kind of entities in terms of their yeah. access to time. Um,
1: Less knowledge or power. <laughs> yeah, we, we
0: don't know how it happened, you know. I, I think, keeping with this Hitchcock idea, you know, if there had been more of a reveal, like maybe we thought he was persecuting Harry, but then we find out, you know, the twist is actually he's there to help Harry, you know, and he had been, you know, after the reveal more uh sort of intellectually titillating or something um that would have helped the story uh and so how much is the actor how much is the writing good question uh it didn't it didn't work as far as what we needed um i liked all the starfleet extras i thought they were all good um you know, Jack Shear has been an admiral in a couple of different places.
2: Yeah, he was uh, he was the admiral in uh first contact.
0: Oh yeah, indeed. Uh, Mark Keeley was good as Lieutenant Laska. I thought that there what was portrayed was a pretty decent, uh, supervisor subordinate relationship with a bit of friendship, but then once Harry starts going cuckoo, yeah, the supervisor kicks in and he's like, You know, I've tried to be your friend, but you're acting like a a wacko yeah um so that all was really good as far as i was concerned uh jennifer gaddy i mean what do you think
2: i like her here more than i did in uh birthright and that might just be because the script gave her a little more real stuff to work with um particularly in her last scene with harry it was good i i liked her like like it, it going back to Inner Light one more time there's a there's a couple of good scenes w- in the early part of the episode with um with a uh, with Helene that uh, you know she's like why do you keep trying to find this other world isn't the one here with me enough and those th- that's just dramatically interesting and had the episode hung its hat on that even if it felt like a retread of Inner Light more explicitly I probably wouldn't have minded because it's a great episode um well-
0: Here it would be more interesting because he actually has a history. Right, right. It's
2: not trying to relearn one from...
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying that the inner light is flawed in that way because the Picard character spends decades there and has enough time without the actual history to form his own history. Right. Uh, But it could be interesting because you're right. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, Harry should really be drawn to just saying, yeah, you know what, screw it. Maybe I can rehab Tom Paris here. (laughs) Um, And and Danny Bird will have a fine fine old time (laughs) in in the Delta Quadrant. Um, Yeah, really, I think the primary problem is a writing one. the, The premise wasn't quite crystallized. It was fun to watch and in this way it reminds me of Times Squared, you know. That was one where it's like, ooh, cool premise, you know, something's weird. There's a duplicate, you know, some kind of time like time loop, right? You know. But then they didn't really explain anything. It was just there. Yeah. It was just a hole and you gotta fly straight through, you know, uh, which is a very tropey sort of uh fix. And th- this was very similar, you know. It's like, ooh, there's an interesting problem. Is there an interesting solution? Not really, you know. It's like, ah, recreate X and explode, but don't worry, everything will be reset. You could call this a galactic reset. I think it's fair to say. One of the first ones in, in the in the series.
2: Yeah. Uh, Production-wise, I I have zero complaints. Uh, pretty much nothing but praise. Um, what they reused from Deep Space Nine and Star Trek's One, Four, and Six was fine. Um, I imagine if they ever tried to do a Blu-ray of Voyager, that that would create a few more problems. Given the even in the you know standard definition version we, version we just watched, you could tell you were looking at different film stock. I think even oh, yeah. even an unsophisticated viewer who didn't care about such things like film stock would notice the notice the difference. Um, I don't know. For what they I actually
1: did not notice. <laughs>
2: Um, Exhibit
0: A: yeah. <laughs> unsophisticated viewer <laughs> claims not to
2: care.
1: I was uh, also knitting at the same time, so.
2: Um, I'll say I love their apartment. the The bay window over San Francisco looked cool. The skyline was shockingly well achieved. Like you're right, yeah, there really was a depth of field to that skyline that almost makes well, me. Well, and think. then
0: they had the night sky, and it was just as good. So it yeah. made you wonder if it was like. Uh, uh, maybe that was reused from Past Tense too. Yeah. Uh, we have to go back and look. But, um, yeah, I love that apartment. I, I want to live in that apartment. I think it looks great. Um, it looks like a real place. They had real bedding, yes, by the
2: way. Yes, yes. I, I will give you that. It looks like a place human beings actually live. And like I said, I like a door with a handle because it's one of those – it doesn't need to not be a door with a handle. It's still the easiest thing to do in this space is have a door with a handle. Um, well, that,
0: that was just one of the best sets I've seen uh, as far as a, a domicile. Yeah. It just looks like a real place. And, and the, Plus, the, it looks like a pretty
2: kick-ass place. The you know? light quality was great because even at night, the light had a very natural quality, which it's not to say that the lighting on Star Trek or on Voyager is you know, harsh and... Overly fluorescent, but it's it's definitely artificial. It's clearly you know man-made light in a man-made space. Where yeah. the light in that gorgeous San Francisco loft was you know reflected sunlight off of the off of the bay, and that, that's that's yeah, just a different. It
0: looked like real light. It's a I different agree.
2: color. It's a different quality, and that that's fun. Um,
0: I like Starfleet
2: headquarters. Uh,
0: Terry's office was cool. Yeah, uh, the use of the runabout was fine. Shea Sandrine can't. Go wrong there. It's a nice set, and I liked the exteriors. You know, I did not know before I read it on Memory Alpha today that they painted the bricks on. So it wasn't something that I'd ever noticed yeah. before. Uh, when you know to look for it, it's easy to see in the close-ups. You know. Yeah. But I think the look was good. You know, the, the extras. I mean, it was a. It was good. I. I basically. There's nothing wrong with this production wise, with the possible exception of Tom
2: Paris' vest. Yeah, <laughs> but even a, that kind of, you know. It's a big sin. I mean, no, um,
0: it, it, it kind of fits. It's like he's a lowlife and he wears weird clothes. You know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> All right. So, in the balance, I'm going to go with a three. This is a good episode. It's interesting to watch. It's an interesting premise. There are several moments that make me feel things. I, I feel the lack of clear explanation for the nature or solution to the problem and not focusing either more fully on the hitchcock you know dissonance or the real stakes for harry and choosing to go back keep this from a four
0: i think that's perfectly valid set of arguments uh i
2: think it's a four
0: and I'm going to switch roles with you. Yeah. You, you've basically given the kind of criticisms that I would give for many an episode. Yeah. Uh, but like, this is a Kevin
2: sort of praise here. You know,
0: the you, character story just makes me so happy. You,
2: you know that, that, that I've made that argument many times before, and I appreciate the slight Faye pitch to your voice you gave when mimicking me. Um. <laughs> I, you know,
0: I'm a, I'm a Tom and Harry shipper, you know, And when I say shipper, I just mean relationship or not, you know, butt sex relationship. (laughs) Um, You know, I love their relationship as characters. I'm a huge fan of the Tom Paris character. And so to me, although it didn't go far enough, you know, in terms of giving Harry some real sort of wrenching decisions, um, you know, there's there's enough there. like the premise is cool and, you know, tickles my brain and makes me happy it's easy to recognize the flaws with how the sci-fi premise is delivered on, but the character story is solid and I feel good about it and I like it and it makes me happy to see. And so for that, to me, it's upper core you know, Voyager. I mean, one of the things I love about Voyager is the characters and I thought this was a, a well-done character story. Um, you know, and the, the same the reason I wouldn't give something like 37s the, the four is that it doesn't really tell me anything that interesting about Janeway. It's, like, fun to watch the actors play off each other. But I didn't really learn a lot about Janeway. Here, I learned something about Tom. I learned what he would have been like. I learned, you know, what he is gaining uh, from his time on Voyager. And I learned how much Harry cares about him, you know. It would have been better if he, there had been more of a, a putative sacrifice, you know, that he's sacrificing Libby for Tom, you know, but uh, it's enough for me. And the production is just so stellar that I just, I love looking at it. I love looking at earth, you know, yeah. I love all the stuff they throw in. And so just on that sort of nerd level, it just sort of pleases me.
2: Yeah, that, 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 that's a valid argument. And when made about characters that I personally happen to like more, on DS9, I've certainly made it. This is going to be a fascinating comparison now that we're really getting into the meat of Voyager. It's going to be fun for me to watch how you analyze episodes about characters that you happen to respond more to versus how I happen to uh, analyze DS9 episodes that I happen to respond to the characters more to. That's good. It's going to, I think it's going to, it's going to be an interesting look at our relationship and not just well, that of Harry yeah, and Tom.
0: So it's kind of like Scully and Mulder switching places or something. Yeah. <laughs>
2: Charlie. Oh like oh, I get to be I get to be the curmudgeon.'m I'm, I'm so excited.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kelly, how do you feel about this one? It
2: should
1: surprise no one that this is a four for me. I care always more about characters than sci-fi story or resolution of you know techno Babble stuff. So it's clearly a four for me. Um, and I like any episode that talks about people's alternate, you know, alternate view of who they might have been. I've always liked that in every kind of series and anything that takes place on earth. I like, so it's clear for,
0: well, yeah, I think it's especially with this show, you know, since there's such an obvious, uh, you know, disaster thing, you know, to, to do an alternate history of like, what if this didn't happen? Um, You know, doing this with different characters is a lot of fun.
1: Um yeah yeah it's a fun twist too because so much of voyager even if it's behind the scenes is we're trying to get home and now he's home trying to get back
0: yeah it's reversing the uh the basic premise um yeah if there had been more of an ethical dilemma if there had been better uh sort of more concrete sci-fi it's feels weird to say that but you know like fan- fantastical sci-fi science that made more sense um i mean really there's the thing right it's like do you think that that's an outrageously nerdy thing to you know chastise a story for i know there are some people who'd be like oh, it's like you're, you're just splitting hairs it's all a bunch of baloney anyway no Why no do you no, no. I, I
2: i've said it many times and this is something i think we completely agree on um That even if you accept sci-fi – I mean, sci-fi, depending on what franchise you're talking about, can be a stand-in for magic. But even in a story explicitly about magic, the best ones have rules and consequences and limits because that's where the drama happens. I mean – Well, and so Doctor Who – you mentioned Doctor Who.
0: Doctor Who is precisely the show for people who – are like, well, it's just a bunch of fantastical stuff that happens, so you don't have to to sweat the details, you know. It that's my take on it, anyway. Well, I, I will
2: say, I will say a couple of. And things. it kind of
0: annoys me a little bit when I watch Doctor Who. I, I mean, the characters are fun, especially the you know recent incarnations and stuff. Um, you know it, but.
3: Well, I so don't. I, I, I don't think...
0: want to dive in enough to really understand the continuity, but I know that they also don't really care, and they're willing to just you know. Futs with things and that kind of makes it less appealing to me
2: well i'll, I'll say i think the, the character story is such the obvious focus and that's what i think makes it so enduring um the other thing is i, I, I and especially in the new incarnations i think they hang a lantern on those and, uh, like it's a running joke sure that the story doesn't have a ton of internal technical continuity so that's that's what you watch it for you, you don't watch it for the Internally rigorous analysis of alternate timelines. You, you watch it for those emotional moments of David Tennant staring into the camera and telling you it's going to be okay, and swooning a little over David Tennant. I mean, that that's what it's for. But it, at least in terms of like you know, good Star Trek, good you know like Lord of the Rings or something, where it's like the fantastical elements have definitions and limits and consequences. Yeah. And yeah. watching our characters navigate them. Is interesting we can have a world where food is limitless and velocity is near infinite but there are still limits and problems well, and don't no break problems. that rule
0: because you know what happens yeah <laughs> you,
2: you, you get into darkness I understand so yeah as long as I mean even in uh, even like Harry Potter which I, I think books four five six and seven were about all of them collectively a third longer than they need it to be, but that's a personal complaint. Um, there are there are limits. You know, they're all magicians. They're all wizards. But that doesn't mean any of them can just wave their wand and resolve the narrative conflict. There are apparently guidelines that the author follows, and I'll say consistently. You know, there, there's, yeah,
0: and I think that makes any story more interesting.
2: Right, because it, it makes the characters winning valuable. So that that's fine. I am... Yeah, I... I'll, and I'll, I've said it before, and I've said it this way, you can set up your universe any way you want, without limit or explanation or rationale. If, however you want the world to function, that's your absolute right as the author. You can create a world that behaves any way you want, but once you do that, if you want me to care about what happens next, the characters have to follow those rules you laid out, otherwise it's pointless. That's, that's fine. They just, so yeah, this, this would be a good example of it's not enough to have a wibbly-wobbly problem and a wibbly-wobbly solution. I'm happy to accept one or the other. I, I think Best of Both Worlds Part 2 is a great example of the latter. It's a really sharply defined, interesting, complicated problem with a bit of a wibbly-wobbly solution, but I let it go because the first 44 minutes were so interesting that the bit of deus ex machina doesn't bother me as much but you, you, you can't create and solve a problem by fiat that that's boring to me and that and that more than anything is kind of um, what keeps this episode out of three for me the how Harry got here and how Harry left both happened because because they happened and I had there been a little more heft to either side of that I, I probably would agree with the form
0: Yeah, well, that's what keeps it from a 5 for me. Okay. Um, You know, the characters were enough to bring it up. So I agree with you. Uh, I just respond more to the characters, I guess. So that's a 7, and I think that's a pretty reasonable rating for this episode. Um, You know, uh, we will keep plugging away with Voyager. I'm happy to be back with Voyager, although DS9 was just getting good. (laughs) Um, But... I always liked Voyager. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how much Kazon stuff goes on and uh, how much that bogs things down. Um, it, You know, if nothing else, this episode was a preview of how solid the show could be once they stopped telling Kazon stories.
2: Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I, I will agree with that that sentiment.
0: Well, and you know when we get to the two-parter with uh, Sarah Silverman, right? Like that was another episode where it's like, ah, this is so nice. It's so refreshing,
2: and it's you know, so bizarre it's like, that it's Sarah Silverman. Well, going back to rewatch that, I'm like, well, why isn't she swearing?
0: <laughs> well, you know, it was before she sort of hit it big, I guess. Um, but it's these episodes that are a change of pace from the sort of milieu that they've created for themselves. That they're stuck in for the the next year um that's just like ah it's such a breath of fresh air so it will be tempting to overrate the episodes because you know they're coming in the midst of you know sort of "Eh, another Kazon story um either way though I still like the characters a lot whether it's a Kazon story or not so you know I'll probably end up being more charitable than than you will be all right. Well, unless you have anything further to add, counselor.
2: I'm I'm good. I I, I think I we we we've made our cases our our, our viewership will decide who is right. To the, to the extent that one I think both of us can be right, you know, it's
0: Well, that's the whole uh, modus operandi behind our uh, rating systems that we're both right all the time. <laughs> and the rating you get is a combined vision of both of our rightness, and that makes that even more right. It's like doubly right.
2: Yeah, the, the only person wrong here is JJ Abrams, obviously. Yeah.
0: yeah.
2: We're nev- we are never letting it go. It's just, I, I've resigned <laughs> myself. Like I used to criticize, I, I used to try to hold you back, but no, no not after Into Darkness. It, we're we're, we're going to find a way to work it in to everything now.
0: Yes, let the hatred flow (laughs) through you, Kevin.
2: Excellent. All right. (laughs) Have a good night, everyone.
0: Live long and prosper.